Broadcasting live from atop the Rocky Mountains, the crossroads of the West. West. You are listening to the Liberty Roundtable Radio Talk Show. Show. All right. Happy to have you along, my fellow Americans. Sam Bushman, live on your radio. Hard-hitting news the network refused to use. No doubt starts now. This, my fellow Americans, is the broadcast for December the 22nd. In the year of our Lord, 2022, this is our one of two, and the goal always to protect life, liberty, and property, to promote God, family, and country, to do so on your radio in the traditions of our founding fathers. We use the Constitution for the United States of America. After all, that is the supreme law of the land. The checks and balances brilliantly put in place by the founding fathers. What are the great peaceful restorative solutions we still have at our fingertips? And as you know, we reject revolution. We stand for peaceful restoration of the greatest country on the face of the earth. Yesterday, our dear friend James Edwards, the politicalcesspool.org, was with us for two hours. And man, the political cesspool has a geared up, incredible broadcast coming up Saturday night. Christmas Eve, baby. And they've got some incredible guests and information for you. But anyway, James was with us for two hours yesterday, and we talked about the Maricopa County judge ruled on Monday, eight out of ten things for Carrie Lake thrown out, but two get to go forward. She says there's problems, real problems, with like 42% of the ballots in Maricopa County, Arizona. If that doesn't tell you what's going on, I don't know, but it's the first time we've seen the courts actually give a little bit of traction to election integrity problems, right? Pray for Carrie Lake, ladies and gentlemen. That's all I can say. Uh, A second issue, uh, Elon Musk says, I'll resign as CEO of Twitter as soon as I find somebody foolish enough to take the job. He says, then after that, I'll just run the software and servers team. Ladies and gentlemen, he's playing you for a sucker. He also says there's one catch. You have to invest your life savings into Twitter. And I don't know if you know, but it's been in the fast lane to bankruptcy since May. Do you still want the job? <laughs> the reason that I say he's playing us for suckers, ladies and gentlemen, is look. Number one, replying to one Twitter user who questioned the poll, where 57-plus percent said Elon stepped down. Do you think that the uh, poll was shaped by fake accounts or bots? Very likely with all the fake accounts on Twitter and Facebook. But you know what? All Elon wrote back to that question by Another Twitter user about the fake bots and fake. Oh, interesting. Well, isn't that what the whole battle about was? Why he didn't want to pay 44 bill for Twitter in the first place? Is because it was, you know, fraught with fake accounts. And see, and then everybody always comes to me and says, Sam, what's your listenership? I say, you know what? I really don't know. And they say, oh, come on, Sam. In the digital world, you can know these things. And I say, no, you can't. And they go, Sam, you might need a little help with technology because it can be known. Everybody else knows, Sam. Why don't you know? And I say, they're full of crap and they don't know. And I'm an IT professional and I do know. And I'm here to prove it. And this is just one more layer in the fact-checking reality where I'm right and they're wrong. When Twitter doesn't even know, when they have 57% of the people, 17 million of them, voting for Elon Musk to step down, and the users say, hey, could it be fake bots and fake accounts and, and doing this? And the owner of Twitter goes, oh, interesting. And he was the guy then that fought, claiming there were all kinds of fake accounts. They already had to get rid of millions. And after that, there's still fake, fake, fake. How many users are there? Well, we don't know. Well, how many listeners or viewers or followers of this tweet? Or do we know? No, we don't know. 
Hey, Sam, how many listeners do you have? I don't know. Sam, you don't know about technology because if you did, you'd know everybody else knows. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't mean to be offensive, but that's like just peeing on my leg and telling me it's raining. That's crazy. Okay, I will take on any IT guy, any educator, any analytics guy, anybody, anywhere on this fact. Bring it. I'll pay for the call, and I'll do the interview for free because I'm telling you, they don't know. By the way, there's a big battle between what, Nielsen Ratings, is that the company that knows everything, supposedly? Yeah, and Google Analytics and some of these other groups, they're all battling about numbers for the Super Bowl or numbers for this event or numbers for that event, and they don't even know who's right either. And they're off by millions, ladies and gentlemen. So if they don't know, and if Twitter doesn't know, and if Facebook doesn't know, and if Nielsen doesn't know, then how, do everybody else, how does everybody else know but Sam doesn't know? Don't you know you've been played for suckers? That's what I'm telling you. Now, Elon Musk literally doubling down like an idiot and going, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and let somebody else be CEO if they're foolish enough to take the job. They've got to put in their life savings. And uh, by the way, I'm going to run the software and the server units, okay? Well, I don't know if you know, but besides administrative garbage, all there is to Twitter is software and server units, okay? I mean, no offense, but there's nothing really more core than that. So if Elon's going to run that, you're a CEO face only, baby. You might do administrative HR stuff, and, and, and you might do a few things. Don't get me wrong, but you're not at the core or the direction, and you won't decide without that core direction of software and servers. You won't be able to make the company sink or swim on your, quote, business talent, your acumen, your expertise. Okay, so Elon's playing big-time games here, folks, and I'm the only one that's going to have the guts to call him out on it, I'll bet you right now. But I'll tell you this, too. I am foolish enough to take the job, and if you give me control of Twitter, you'll see a different ball game, Elon. I'm telling you that right now as well. So don't play games for me. to, to me. I know you've released a lot of information, but the information that you've le- released so far, Elon Musk, has been virtually inert. What do I mean by that? There's a lot of allegations, a lot of claims, a lot of facts, a lot of details, but nobody goes to jail because all the names have been redacted. We don't know who did what. Jack Dorsey, golly, he didn't really know, they claim. You know, while he was on vacation, the poor dear guy got snookered by the underlings or whatever. See, this is all bogus. Now, Twitter literally gives special protection to social media accounts used by the U.S. military. Listen to me carefully. Used by the U.S. military for psychological influence operations. What is a psychological influence operation, ladies and gentlemen? You want to know the answer? Fake news and lies to manipulate the public's reality, to promote government, and to protect special people. It's called election fraud, folks. Yeah. Well, that's all happening, too. We learn about the FBI and their scandals and their criminal activity. Now the FBI is increasing spending to go after what they call MAGA or MAGA-related domestic terror cases. Um, That's according to the Information Liberation, Bannon's War Room, and Newsweek for that story. So uh, what does that mean? The FBI is going to continue spending, and um, Elon's going to say, golly, these guys are bad guys. But no one goes to jail as they crank up more abuse from the FBI and the IRS against all of us. By the way, who is a MAGA domestic terrorist? Is that you? Is that me? See, I never even voted for the Donald. I give him credit when he does what's right, and I stand up boldly, nobly, independently when I think he's wrong. 
Whenever I think he's wrong, I don't try to assassinate him or his character. I try to highlight why I believe he's wrong and what the solutions are. In other words, I look at the Constitution, the supreme law of our land, and say, hey, here's what it ought to be, here's why, here's how we ought to go forward. I always try to choose the moral high road. It isn't about people. It is about principle. All right, Eldon Stahl is with me, well-known field coordinator for the John Birch Society, jbs.org, New Ameri- thenewamerican.com, that's the New American Magazine. I always hesitate because I can't remember if it's got the on the front of it or just American. It's thenewamericanmagazine.com. Uh, or is it just New American? That's where I always get confused, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Eldon, welcome to Liberty Roundtable Live, sir. Well, thank you, Sam. Yeah, it's great to be here. Yes, uh, thenewamerican.com. All right. I can't remember if it's the or <laughs> no, not. Is, yeah. I just want to make sure. Thenewamerican.com, one of the best <laughs> magazines on the planet, I might double down and say, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, so, Elon, what do you say uh, about this? Um, I'm calling a spade a spade on Twitter, and I think we're being played for suckers. I appreciate the information that he's released. And I think it's true. I think it's problematic. I get it. But right now, what's supposed to happen next? There's zero accountability. They're just playing games with us, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Uh, they're just, uh, you know, I looked at that very suspiciously when he said, oh, I'll step down if enough people vote. Well, is that really a great way to run a company just because, and who knows how many real votes there are. I mean, we're talking about election integrity. Uh, imagine if we had our elections via Twitter. Uh, what a disaster that would be. <laughs> well, it might actually be better than it is now. <laughs> yeah, some would argue. <laughs> <laughs> There's a headline in the Epic Times to make this point, too, just so you know right now. The EpicTimes.com. The headline says, Twitter exposed. What will be done about it? And I really believe that's the ultimate question. Hmm. Uh, yeah. I don't know who this is. Her name is Danielle Salsa Gill wrote it. <clears throat> and um, they discussed this. And really, what's going to be done about it, Eldon? Anything really? Because otherwise, it doesn't matter. It's just all political theater, right? Yeah, right. That's a very good point. I mean, what what would we do about it? I don't know. That's uh I guess a buyer beware at the very least. But amen to that. You know, yeah. Up until now, I mean, we haven't really had to pay to be to use Twitter. I've I've never been on Twitter, so I I, I don't know. To me, it didn't seem like something I wanted to do. I got enough going on, but a lot of people use it. Well, I was on Twitter. They kicked me off because they said that I peddled fake news. I peddled a whole lot less fake news than the FBI did, ladies and gentlemen. Nevertheless, uh, I'm now back on because I took down one tweet. I normally held out and wouldn't take it down. But the reason that I agreed to take it down is because I felt like Elon Musk should be given another chance. Will he take me down? What will he do? Time will tell. I don't know. But I think it's a, it's a very fair, you know, let's give Elon Musk a chance, right? So we did that. Uh, we're going to come back. We're going to add Brian Finnegan. I'm sorry. Wow. Brian Rust, Kelly Finnegan to the mix. Uh, we, I want to get their take on a lot of this, too. And then we'll go from there. 
Uh, man, we got an incredible guest next hour, too. Former Congressman Steve King. You are listening to Liberty Roundtable Live. Have you ever heard of Loving Liberty Ladies? Well, the Loving Liberty Ladies are here to help you learn our American heritage and the way it affects today's society. The Loving Liberty Ladies also have a discussion guide called Proclaim Liberty. And with this guide, you can start your own group in your hometown. Get yours today on our website at lovingliberty.net. Look for our lesson supplements, too. They're free. To hear all the special offers and to join the fight for freedom and liberty, please go to lovingliberty.net. The spirit of the American West is alive and well in Range Magazine, the award-winning quarterly devoted to the issues of the American West. Each issue contains informative articles, breathtaking imagery, as well as the culture of cowboy spirit today, and gift ideas like this year's Buckaroo calendar. Order online from rangemagazine.com. Loving Liberty Network salutes the spirit of the American West at rangemagazine.com. Why does the left lie constantly? Because they get spiritual power from lying. The lies come from Satan, the father of lies. John 8, 44. Here's how the political lying process works. Satan provides the beast with a lie. Then the more they use the lie, the more spiritual power they get. Look, the media is a lie multiplier, and this multiplication gives more evil spiritual power to the beast, and that can overwhelm and even deceive the body of Christ, especially when the body is being disobedient to the head. The churches today are incorporated, so they're subordinate to human government. They obey the beast and do nothing to restore our national relationship with God. And the government shall be on his shoulders, Isaiah 9, 6. That verse is not for the present-day church. Rather, it is for the end-time church, the body of the Lion of Judah, a message from Christ Kingdom Ministries. I want to dedicate this song to Mr. Rupert Murdoch. All right, back with you live, ladies and gentlemen. We talked about the U.S. government paid Catholic charities three billion dollars to traffic people across the u.s mexico border um they say complicit clergy uh, in the mix on this one three billion dollars to the catholic charities for this by your government eldon oh we'll try to get eldon back here uh while we're getting eldon back go ahead eldon there i'm back <laughs> yeah, that's not good stuff, right? What do you what do you what do you think about that though? Three billion dollars to Catholic charities. Now, my problem is I don't really like to attack, attack religions, but at the same time, I just think really to to literally the government's going to pay three billion dollars to a Catholic church organization to break the law. Yeah, it's you know, at the very least, the government should not be funding. Um some sort of religious charity if anytime they fund stuff as we know they take control of it so what are the strings that are going to be attached here to the catholic charities or whoever it is? you know maybe if you're um protestant or maybe you're mormon and you say oh well our, our charity that's affiliated with the church um got all this money from the government great uh, maybe not so great. <laughs> Government should be doing that, that anyway. 
And that's the concern is the strings attached to this. I don't like government funding that at all. I also think it's breaking the law. So there's a lot of nuances to this. Let's bring Brian Rust, RustQuinnagift.com, into the mix. Welcome to the broadcast, sir. How are you doing, Sam? I'm trying to send a text to Kelly. <laughs> to Kelly to, to wake him up? He's probably celebrating Christmas a little too hard, isn't he? Too much eggnog and such. I think that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so, so I, the, the Catholic Church got paid $3 billion by the U.S. government to help illegals come across the border. I've got a problem with this, Brian, and I don't want to attack churches. So I want to wisely, again, I'm not attacking people necessarily, uh, but what I want to do is kind of focus on the nuanced details of this based on principle. So number one, the government shouldn't be breaking the law, shouldn't be funding breaking the law, and the Catholic Church should not be breaking the law. Okay, so that's first. Secondly, the government should not be funding any churches at all for any reason. Third, you know what? If we really want to solve the problem at the border, let's change the law to where the illegal immigration is completely shut down. Let's increase the ability to bring people into the country legitimately, legally, properly, morally. Because you know what? I get why people want to come here. And I get why our nation, you know what? We have plenty of room for a lot of people if we organize and do it in a systematic, meaningful, appropriate way that doesn't destroy our culture, that doesn't destroy our way of life. Uh, So it can be done. And, And I guess I'm saying... The churches could provide a lot of leadership in that rather than getting in bed with the government for $3 billion or whatever it is. Um, There's ways to do it morally, legally, appropriately. And I get that the churches are just saying, look, we're about Jesus Christ. Uh, We want to look at our neighbor and be kind to our neighbor. We want to be like the, uh, uh, the, uh, what's it called? um, Shoot. It's the biblical thing. uh, The Samaritan. Yeah, the Good Samaritan. That's I'm so sorry. The Good Samaritan, yes. You know, we want to be like that, and I don't blame the churches for wanting to be like that. After all, that is their mission. So, But we can do both is what I'm trying to get at, Brian. Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, no doubt about it, there's a better way. I mean, obviously, um, you know, counseling together and so on, but I, I'm not so sure we need to, to jump in like what they're wanting to happen here. I, there's no doubt about it, there's a better way. I mean, it's you know, you look at these other countries, these other, there's no other country in the world that allows these, you know, illegals to come into their country. And then, you know, if you have a baby, you're part of this France. Now you have, you have a baby in France, you're, it's a citizen. Not, none of these countries do that. And and so there is a much better way to, to go about doing this. I, I'm definitely not a, a fan of jumping in with government just based on their agenda. And, and what is their agenda really? You know, do they want to just look good as opposed to, Hey, we have the religious vote. We back this. We're religious. Okay, well, Satan might say that and then lead you down to hell. So, but Amen. Uh, wow. So I, I just think that, yeah, there, there's no doubt a better way to handle this. And, and right now the way they're going about it is, 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 you know, pathetic. It's problematic to say the least. The other problem is how much of that $3 billion, if we helped people stay in their countries and brought, you know, appropriate water, water systems or – uh, whatever systems to help them prosper in their own areas. You know, a lot of these people coming into the country don't need to. And I'll give it, you know, Mexico or some of these countries as an example. Yes, there's violence there and there's problems. But you know what? All we're doing is increasing violence here. We're starting to yeah. just go the way of these third world violent nations if we're not careful. How much of that money, not, not that the government should be spending money in this way either, but I'm just saying how much of the money could be used to really um, – 
save us in a different way. In other words, bring stability to their nations, bring uh, prosperity. Simple changes that aren't really that expensive in the long run make a huge difference. And most of the squalor the people are in is because the governments are so corrupt. And that's the, the direction we're heading to. Kelly, I don't know if you're caught up on this uh, enough, but basically the United States government gave $3 billion to Catholic charities to go ahead and bring illegals across the border there. And I'm saying uh, this is problematic on so many fronts, it's not even funny. Well, I, I think it's fine if somebody thinks that somebody should just be able to freely cross over the border. They should take their place. And and then we have a net zero immigration, and it works So you're out saying if Joe Biden wants an illegal to come, he can send the illegal to he can Joe's house. the president of Mexico or whatever. And then Joe can just, like, head on to Mexico. Good plan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if Alec Baldwin <laughs> wants a Mexican to come in, then he can go back over and he can become the, the famous actor in Mexico that kills people. Joe can begin the Southern flow is what you're saying. Right. <laughs> just, just, just a one-for-one one exchange. We'll have like a prisoner exchange. Joe's really good at doing that. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Hey, Brittany, you want to come live in my house in, in uh, Guatemala? Because we're heading south, sister. Jesus. <laughs> Good point. And that demonstrates the absurdity that I'm pointing out as well. All right, enough fun with that. The next topic I want to talk about is this. Donald Trump, I don't know if you know this, but he put together what's called a digital trading card, an NFT, if you will. And uh, uh, it sold out in a single day, I guess, from what I understand, netting four-plus million dollars. Um, what do you think about the old Donald Trump NFT? Did you get some of those, Brian? Uh, I didn't. I didn't get any of those. You're missing out, bro. <laughs> I, is that is is that the next uh, that's the next big thing? Everybody needs to jump on board. I guess is that what we're we're saying? I don't know. It was a ninety nine dollars <laughs> to buy one of these things. They sold a ton of them. They went up to like four hundred bucks. Now they're on their way back down. Everybody speculated, hoped it would be incredible. I don't know if it'll be a historical relic to remember forever, or else it'll just be a flash in the pan. Uh, either way, though, what the heck is Donald wasting his time with that kind of goofy stuff for, Kelly? Well, Sam, when you said you said it right there, he sold out. That's exactly what he did. He sold out, and people who really know know that he that that was kind of like the nail in the coffin for him. You know, it sounds like it's all about money, and him coming out saying. He's the greatest president, better than Washington and, and Lincoln. You know, I think that's really he's tough as rocker. Yeah. He's, he's uh, you know what? It. Kelly is full of the zingers today, Eldon. He's throwing down. <laughs> he must be sipping on the eggnog pretty good now. <laughs> that's, yeah. I, I, I have to admit, I didn't get any of these uh, digital trading cards. Um, not into that. But some people are, I guess. Uh, apparently, some people bought them. and uh, But seems like uh well okay that's that's probably how much energy do you really want to put into that i guess if it raises money maybe that's worth it but um yeah i i wouldn't myself i, I don't know i think when you're a it's super kind of billionaire weird. you'd be focused on a little more important things than that if you're um you know like-minded to me for example i don't know if you know this but congressional democrats in the house ways and means committee voted to publicly release former president donald trump's tax returns this is a privacy concern for all of us ladies and gentlemen i guess republicans voted against it democrats voted for it but i look at that and i kind of go are you kidding me right now this is a, a serious privacy breach 
of epic proportions. Uh-huh. We're promised when we file our taxes under the penalty of perjury, by the way, so it's not like you can choose not to do it, that we'll have privacy in this. Now they're literally violating this without any federal authority at all. Brian? Yeah. Didn't didn't Mitt Romney uh, take his time? And, and I wonder how he votes for this uh because didn't they go after Romney and his uh, well, All tax? Republicans voted against it, from what I understand. It, uh, this is a House, not a Senate-side thing. So uh, I don't know. Oh, really, you know so. In this, I don't think he voted yet. Time will tell. Yeah, uh, yeah. there you go. But, uh, yeah, I agree. It's, uh, I mean, it's ridiculous. They're just, just grasping at all kind, everything, just everything. So I... Yeah. <laughs> all right, when we come back, I want to talk about Ukraine a little bit because... Whacked out Mitch McConnell said that Ukraine, providing aid to the Ukraine, is at the top of the United States' priorities. Yeah, Biden sent Patriot missiles to Ukraine as well. Have we lost our minds, gentlemen? Quick pause. Brian, Kelly, Eldon, and yours truly. Your daily Liberty Newswire. You're listening to Liberty News Radio. USA News, I'm Lance Prime. Russia on Wednesday announced an ambitious plan to strengthen its military from 1 million to 1.5 million and create new multiple units. Russia's military chief cited NATO's plans to incorporate Finland and Sweden as a factor for the buildup. The Kremlin previously considered the size of its military as sufficient, But things changed after hopes for a quick victory when invading Ukraine were shattered by fierce Ukrainian resistance. President Zelensky goes to Washington. Ukrainian leaders spoke to Congress Wednesday evening. Not just to stand in such fight, but to get to the turning point to win on the battlefield. We have artillery. Yes. Thank you. We have it. Is it enough? Honestly, not really. <laughs> After sour, Title 42 remains in effect and one of the last tools to prevent an invasion of migrants entering the United States illegally. Some estimates have it at roughly 15,000 per day if Title 42 was to go away. That's on top of the 3 million plus that have been released into America under the Biden administration. These folks need food, shelter, clothing, and health care and are all being paid for by the American people. Two of Sam Bankman-Fried's top associates secretly pleaded guilty to criminal charges in the collapse of FTX and are cooperating with investigators. The digital coin entrepreneur and number two financial donor to the Democrat Party will be flown in FBI custody to the United States from the Bahamas. He is expected to appear in a federal court in New York City today. A new study published in the journal Nature Communications has revealed that brilliant red 40 food dye can increase the risk of inflammatory bowel disease, which affects some 3 million Americans. This is USA News. Paid for by government.com. Did you hear? A recent stash of $10 Gold Liberty coins from the 1800s has been found. These gorgeous gold coins are as bright and shiny as the day they were struck in the late 1800s. And less than 50 of these gold coins are available. Coin experts are calling this gold find an incredible opportunity. Call 1-888-201-7060. And you are guaranteed a $10 Gold Liberty coin minted by the U.S. Mint in the 1800s. But with extremely limited availability, you must call now. These Gold Liberty coins from the 1800s are still in uncirculated condition. That is history you can hold in your hand. 
To learn more, call 1-888-201-7060. Call now and you'll receive a free American Coin Collector's Bonus Package, a $40 value, free with every order. Call 1-888-201-7060 now to secure your $10 Gold Liberty Coins dated from the 1800s before they sell out. That's 1-888-201-7060. Live on your radio, ladies and gentlemen, hard-hitting talk, always at your fingertips. So look, man, they're literally doubling down for Ukraine. They had the Ukraine leader come and speak, and he's basically up there going, yeah, we love war, and we got a lot of war hardware, but we ain't got enough. And everybody starts laughing over the break and stuff like that. These people have lost their minds, Kelly. Yeah, you know, and Nancy was there, and it just made me think of that thing about taxes that uh, – Trump should just say, hey, Nancy, I'll show you mine if you show me yours. And that'd put an end to that. uh, (laughs) Good point. Yeah, because we should start to expand those who are president, those who are vice president, those who are third in line, speaker of the house to be president and such. They better just kind of gear their stuff up in advance just in case they become president. Yeah, let's see where you made your millions, Nancy. Ouch. And Chucky, Chucky Schumer. Yeah, but she yeah, probably bought a, a Trump NFT, huh? Yeah, made it all there. <laughs> makes me want to do a W.C. Fields uh, NFT. <laughs> what do you say to all this, Eldon? I, I don't think we should give any more money to Ukraine. That, that's just a, I mean, of all the holes we could put our money into, that's probably one of the worst. Um, those folks, they're, they're going to have to work it out themselves, and we shouldn't at least get involved in that if anything it'll make the problem worse amen hey brian you know what i've called the new omnibus spending bill what ready for my nickname for it sure let the looting begin <laughs> yeah let the looting begin merry christmas 2022 baby oink, oink. <laughs> <laughs> it's insane literally 1.7 yeah. trillion dollars it's a how big is this bill? I'm just trying to see. 4,155 pages. No one's read the dang thing either, Brian. And they're literally ready to go to war, fund war, fund everything under the sun. It is insane. Well, Brian? you look you look at what's happened over the last little while. We went, we've been in a number of these wars, and how, how well have they turned out? Doesn't think that doesn't seem to, that we've been very successful in and getting involved in these other wars of other countries and so on, we we jump right in. I'm not I'm not a big fan of pouring money into Ukraine. I mean, realistically, there that nation's never been very honest as it is. They you know they've been listed as one of the you know perhaps the three most corrupt nations out there. So, but yeah, let's pour money into that and help them. And I you know I I'm all about you know stopping this war. But it, you know for us to pump money into Ukraine and so on is that I don't, I just don't think that's the the answer i mean anyway all right there you have it alex jones is in bankruptcy don't you guys know now i think it's wrong that he's there in the first place i think he has every right to his opinion i think that the against him was a violation of free speech and the first amendment just totally out of control but they said he owed 1.5 billion dollars or whatever in reparations for his abuses and all this kind of stuff and how dare you and libel slander whatever they used against him it's hard to even say at this point but he was he was going to bankruptcy court and i guess they worked out a 
deal where he gets ten grand a week. Remember, I told you before that he wouldn't be suffering much. Everybody thought, my gosh, the guy's on the ropes. He's going to be looking for the soup kitchen and stuff. I said, no, he's going to be doing fine. Well, now this is proof. Even in bankruptcy court, the judge granted him in bankruptcy court as they work out of bankruptcy, ten grand a week for his family. That's $520,000, half a million dollars a year. Well, anyway, Alex rioted. He cannot live on that amount. The contract he got with his free speech systems was $1.3 million a year, so more like you know, 30, 40 grand. Uh, a week or whatever you want to say, 20, 28 grand a week. Just depends on how many, you know, what you call a week is every single week a week or what or twice a month. But anyway, the, the long story short is he, he's way down. He only gets 10 grand a week instead of like 30 or 40 like he was expecting. He's rioting now and just mad as heck because he can't live on it. And, and I look at it and I go, I'm okay with him making a lot of money. Okay, this is, again, kind of a violation of his privacy uh, about money. But at the same time, I look at it and go, you know, this guy's on radio and TV going, oh, I'm telling you right now, we're about to go under. We're, we're caving in. Uh, the, the, the work on it, the loads on us, too great. Oh, oh my! You gotta. I'm behind enemy lines. You gotta go ahead and help me raise money to stay on the air. And I'm going. What are you talking about, Kelly? Hold on. Let me push my button. Well, you know, there's some things about Alex Jones that whole thing. When he would name names, that was the problem. But yeah, he can't make it on half a million dollars a year. I would. It's just, you know, it's. An, I think it's just another thing to distract us from what's going on, with everything. Really, it's just another way to get people riled up about something, so that they. Keep yeah, their my problem though is apart. don't get on the radio and beg me for money to keep your organization alive like you're just behind enemy lines and just hating it. When you're on 1.3 million a year, and then they ratchet you down to 500 grand, and you rebel in court, come on! At some point, I just go, man, quit playing me and, for and, a sucker. And really, you're just begging people for money to pay somebody else. It's not even for you for that because you're already getting your money. So yeah, it's 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 a I don't know. He's he's an interesting individual to say the least. And I'm not here to attack him, Brian. He can make all the money he wants. I don't have any problem with people making good money in America. Okay. And I don't have a problem with it. My problem, though, is begging me as if you're about to go broke or tomorrow you'll be off the air. And the poor American people are going, my gosh, we need news sources. And what do we do if we, you know, and, and I'm looking at that going, are you kidding me right now? I don't think it's genuine, to say the least. I think it's 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 pretty dishonest, in my opinion, uh, Brian. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, we're, it's not our, um, <clears throat> I mean, we shouldn't be able to provide, you know, he should live with whatever he's given, I guess, in a sense, and go out and, and uh you want, you know, I, I don't have all the answers there, but it's, it, it doesn't sound right to me. Well, I don't have any problem with him making a lot of money. I don't have any problem with him saying, hey, you know what? Um, I do well myself, but this organization needs your support. I don't, I don't have a problem with the candid, you know, but I'm telling you right now, how many of those people would be in a, in a we're going to do a massive fundraising because we're down on cash. So I'm going to be on the air for a long time and really kind of appeal to your senses like, man, we're in desperate times. How many people would be believing that and donating on that if they realized he was getting $1.3 million a year, and now the poor guy's just ratcheted down to a half a mil? You know, I mean, only ten grand a week. My gosh, I don't even know that I get three grand a week. <laughs> you know, me and my wife together might get two grand a week or something, or, you know, whatever. But I'm just saying, come on now. It's, just, it's insane. Eldon, what do you say? Am I being too hard on him? Um. No, at, at the same time, it's it's a situation where now the government is telling a person how much they can make rather than the market. 
And, and I find the that way to be we a problem, too. This, yeah, that is a problem. Uh, you know, I to me, this seems like it, what the Eighth Amendment describes as excessive fines. You know, um, it's, yes, he, he probably did uh, some things that were not good or wrong or criminal or whatever, you know, slanderous, libelous. At the same time, uh, the tradition, at least the American tradition, has been, okay, if somebody does something like that, they have a fine or penalty that is um, proportional to the crime, but we don't cut off their hand. We don't cut out their tongue, right? We, we don't have this cruel, unusual punishment. Um, and now that seems to be the focus of the prosecutors is let's just get rid of and make an example of Alex Jones. Yeah, and in the process, I'm just saying, I don't think it's very genuine to act like you're going off the air tomorrow when you're making $1.3 million. You're not going off the air tomorrow anytime soon, yeah, ladies and gentlemen, true. because the first thing you yeah. do in business, if you're really having trouble, is just say, hey, we're going to have to kind of cut back on salaries so we can kind of make the budget and stuff like that. I just find it very interesting. All right, Dr. McCullough said that yeah. the COVID vaccinated are a health threat now to the unvaccinated because of shedding. Kelly? Uh, I've thought that all along. You know, you got two guys that are or more that are experts in viruses, and they don't listen to them. And yeah, I mean, if you you've been given that quote unquote vaccine, you know, uh, you're you make yourself more liable to be become infected. I think everybody who was vaccinated has at least had COVID once. I know people that have had it three times. Yeah, so, I'm one of them, my yeah. friend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and my my daughter had to go in and they asked about a blood transfusion, and she says, "Well, as long as I know that the if the blood that I get isn't somebody that's been vaccinated, you know, because she's like, I'm worried about no, you're going to get blood that's vaccinated because that's really yeah, all there yeah. is." Yeah, and they said, "Well, we can't guarantee that." So I said, "Hey, if you have to choose between being alive or dead, you go with that and work with that other later." But yeah, you yeah, go with I being can, alive, and then you go with natural herbs and health and healing, and there's a way to detox, according to yeah, yeah, uh, a lot a of the alternative experts. And I would just basically get the get the blood and then do the best to detox that I could and just say, hey, Lord, help me, save me in my prayers and in all that I do is what I would personally do. Yeah, and I just told her the odds of her needing blood were so low, it wasn't a problem. All right, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Anyway, very interesting. All right, Brian, what's gold looking like, sir? Gold's at 1801. 1801. Even? Uh, yep. 1801. That's up a little bit, right? Up a little bit, yep. All right. Hey, can you skip the break, guys, really quick? 1801 yep. for gold. Silver, Brian? 2368. Uh, $23.68. That's hardly changed, but it's slightly up, right? Yeah, it was up over 24 here yesterday. Wow. So. All right. So it's down today for uh, Christmas. Get some silver, baby. Right? That's right. There you go. All right. Kurt, going, Kurt, Rodium, uh, Kurt Rodium, just about the same. It's that hasn't done anything. So he's he's trying to figure out how to move that uh, mountain. Yeah, he's not as bad off as Alex Jones, but he's, you know, struggling. <laughs> That's exactly right. Poor Kurt there. Hey, the All thing right. I think is interesting, palladium is below gold now, which hasn't happened for quite a while, which tells you there's a problem in the auto industry. Yeah, Ooh, exactly. Brian, add to this. Let's talk about this. Kelly's on to something. Yeah, that's exactly right. So you're you're looking at that. Uh, 
Yeah, the metal saying, you know, platinum, same thing, 990, or 991's down from where it has been. But, yeah, gold, uh, palladium under gold. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, well, Wow, well what put. does that mean long term? I mean, it's an auto industry concern, uh, but it's also a bigger concern, too. Does it mean they're not manipulating enough? Is the plunge team going to get involved there? Probably. <laughs> what do you think, Kelly? What's going to happen with this? Well, I think something that could be going on is they, they actually have, if they go to hydrogen, they'll have to use a lot of platinum. And I think that right. maybe they're, they've decided they're going to give up on palladium and transfer everything over to platinum since it's so much cheaper. So I kind of think that might be where they're going right now. All right. So palladium versus well, we, gold, which is better now. People are kind of thinking, wondering. I say gold's always better, but this is an interesting twist, right? We've been we've been actually uh, talking to you know as, as clients and so on. What is the buy? And we we have been pushing platinum a little. It's it's down. I remember platinum at at uh, twenty five hundred bucks. So it's down. And usually your uh, conversion basically from palladium to platinum. That's mostly what's going to happen with your auto and those that are burning clean and withstanding heat. That that's the metal I think. What do you say, Brian? I mean, what do you say, um, Kelly? Do you think it's it's good to start buying some palladium? Uh, well, I no, I would platinum. Buy platinum. I mean, platinum. Palladium. I remember palladium was two fifty an ounce, and that was even high. So <clears throat> stick with the platinum. Plus, hydrogen. Yep. Um, platinum can hold one hundred times its weight in in hydrogen, and make it like six nines pure. So platinum, scientifically, the the real kind of a uh, dark horse there now is palladium higher than gold too the palladium's under gold right now but it was higher okay. than gold for a long time yeah, yeah no you're right that's interesting and is it because of the manipulations you think brian well it's it's basically you know but when when you're out there was usually you get these changes so you have space technology you have your auto catalyst and and, and dealerships and so on that are that are putting that into uh, catalytic converters and so on because the EPA burning clean and withstanding heat. So those, and so the transition was, well, when, when platinum was so high, palladium was obviously to buy and they went in and bought, you know, tons of that. Now you're looking at a push. Well, what's the, tr- the change? The change will be to buy platinum instead of palladium based on price. So but the other thing is very like Ford, Ford says they're going all electric. Well, they're not going to need any palladium. So yeah. I think there's a, I think the demand has gone down with all of these companies thinking that they're going to go electric, and that's where I think if they end up going with hydrogen, which is where they wanted to go originally, platinum's going to take off. So what do you say, Eldon? Well, um, <laughs> I don't have probably enough to to invest in any of those, but. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, but the problem is with all these metals is it's it's all subject to the markets, and that's and, and I'm highlighting this for a reason. Whether we talk about platinum, why is platinum more expensive than gold, or palladium versus gold, which is better? Uh, the reality is, ladies and gentlemen, all these are sub subject to the markets, to the economy, to what big companies decide to use what around the world, uh, etc. To where, you know what, that's why we go back to the gold and silver and kind of have Congress handle kind of the value thereof and et cetera, because we find that day in and day out, regardless of all that, the stability is in the two metals, gold and silver. Brian? 
Yeah, hey, another another thing we might want to look at is is we talk about this battery thing going on. Well, what about uh, you know um, graphite? I mean, China completely dominates the graphite supply chain. Well, graphite. I mean, you talk about batteries, and and uh, and I think that's a you know is that is China now another power horse as far as those batteries and things that are going to be coming on in that fact. I just I just think that around the world we need to get the truth. I mean, it's the COVID shots and and that come out and tell us the truth about the whole thing, you know, and and batteries is battery powered the way to go. Because, oh, we're pushing for this clean air. Is that really the way? What's the truth about all these batteries and when the batteries die? Where do they go and all this? I mean, there's just a lot of education, I think, that needs to happen. But I think graphite could be a big uh, issue here, especially if China holds that marketplace and and batteries take graphite. So, yeah. Yeah, well, you're talking about cobalt, nickel, manganese, graphite, (laughs) lithium. China controls it all, baby, huh, Kelly? (laughs) Well, the U.S. actually has more of the rare earths than China. It's just environmentally it would destroy the environment, and we won't do that here. But in China, they don't care, you know, anything for a bag. But that's where I tell people the important thing is study and find out on your own. You know, I I like gold. Brian likes silver. I know people that like other things. But you just have to kind of do your own homework and, and figure out what works for you. But it's always good to diversify a bit. But, you know, I I don't know the answers. Brian doesn't know the answers. And if he says he does, he's a fool. But I know he'll say, no, I don't know. Hey, I know the answers. Yeah. I know nothing. No, listen. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I do know the answers. you got to follow God, family, and country in that order. And if I'm right with God, and if I then use the, you know, my family and, and focus on the fundamental unit of society and make that good, and then as a country level, I follow the supreme law of the land and use constitutional honest weights and measures according to the Bible, honest money. And I can't go hardly go wrong there, uh, Kelly. No, and, and, and you use that inspiration <laughs> to tell you little by little, you know. It's, it's like, uh, hell, I need to know whether I should buy a Ford or a Chevy. I don't think God really cares which one you buy as long as you've done your homework and studied it out. but yeah, And as long uh, as you're doing your best to prepare and to, to use provident living as, as he's commanded us to do, right? Yeah, I mean, gold really is the perfect thing for money. It's, it's like the one thing it was made to be. And, you know, and we just have to realize what it is and, 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 and look into it. Brian? Knowledge. That's the key is knowledge, and we, you know, and and like I say, I'm on I'm on your train, Sam. I'm getting I want to get on that and have, you know, and and uh, peace of mind is preparation and and knowledge and and turning to my God and and you know having help in that direction. And I think there's a lot of factors there. I'm on that train, so I'm following you onto that train. Yeah, whether it's rare earth, lithium, cobalt. Graphite, graphite, whatever. <laughs> you know, hey, they all. You know, the, the the Chinese really controls it all. I kid you not, folks. It is a literally scary when you kind of think about that. And that's also part of the reason they're trying to push towards moving to these electric vehicles. Because look, the global battery supply chain, the whole electronics industry, via solar panels, everything. China's involved. Every for us to move to that is insanity, Eldon. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's 
you know, so much of our market and things is manipulated by the government, and that, that just uh, it's not not a good thing. Uh, I mean, I remember I I did a report back in college about the uh, what was the Chevy Volt, and it was just obvious from just the get go that this thing was not a viable thing for anybody to possibly even consider, unless you had just a bunch of money you want to throw away, and you know, it's a reality only because the government just uh, forces people to subsidize it. It's just like so many things. All right, good point. Joshua Phillips over at the Epic Times, along with another guest of his, uh, on his Crossroads program, talked to Nick Corbishly, I think is how you say his name. And they talked about this, and I want to end kind of on this topic, one more headline maybe before the end of the hour, but here's the topic. How digital currencies could mark the end of financial freedom in America. Let's start with you, Brian. Yeah, no doubt about it. I, I'm not a fan of digital currencies because it is. It's it's a control factor. You know, they say, you know, I'm sure they're not going to use it as a control factor, but, but realistically, you look at the control of that. I mean, they have basically a push of a button controls. You're not getting on this plane. You've got no money to spend here. You've got that. It just being, it's one more push to, to, uh, you know, enforces to just get in line, shut up, and just, you know, and, and, and that major control. Because money, if, if they take away all money, we rely specifically on them to control everything. And that's kind of what their their plan is, I believe. Sad but true, Kelly. Yeah, I mean, they could make it so that your, your cash card wouldn't work outside of the state you live in to make sure that you don't travel too far. Or, hey, you get one plane right a year as long as it's within the United States or, hey, you can't go to Brian's shop and buy any gold, you know, and, and they can make it so that the, the currency will have an expiration date. And so make sure that you spend it to keep the economy going. But, you know, the yeah, buy plenty great. of Christmas eggnog while you got the chance, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, they think it's great. The kids <laughs> think it's great, but they don't look at that. When you explain that to them, they go, wow, that isn't a good idea, is it? And that's the thing. People don't think beyond anything like electric cars they don't look at wow what happens to these batteries after they can't recycle them they're just going to fill up a landfill and so they don't look at that they look at the feel good right now thing and that yeah. sounds great with digital currency but by the way just so everybody knows i drink um i drink uh, alcohol-free eggnog ladies and gentlemen just to be clear about this right, uh, right. <laughs> eldon what do you say to this though man look they're literally Pushing these digital currencies that could literally mark the end of financial freedom in America. This is true. It's not a game. It's not a, a maybe. It's reality. It's the control factor, as Brian highlighted. That's the concern, Eldon. Yeah, and I'm uh, highly uh, alarmed at uh, something that I experienced just the other day. Was that I, I wrote to my U.S. senator, Senator Cynthia Lummis, about this, and she's actually on the Senate Banking Committee. I said, "Hey, this." central bank digital currency idea bad idea and so her office sent me back an email said you know we think this is a really good idea and here's a link to a video from a state-owned media outlet out of communist china promoting central bank digital currency i, I just thought i was you know in the twilight zone or something what yeah what that's exactly who we got to follow as the communists huh eldon <laughs> yeah i mean good grief you know uh, I mean, she's she's had good sense on some things, but uh, boy, some 
sometimes you just wonder, like, what, yeah, what on earth? It's a problem when thinking? you send your note to Congress and they send back a communist Chinese leadership video, huh? Wow. All right, yeah. final story of the yeah. hour for you guys. Yeah, that really almost. happened. Uh, amen. We'll start with Brian. The United States Postal Service said that it's going to spend nearly $10 billion to create one of the largest electric truck fleets in the United States. They're going to buy at least 66,000 vehicles. They're all electric by 2028, buddy. They're just flush with cash. Brian? <laughs> yeah, there there you go. It seems like the, po- the Postal Service is always bankrupt because it's you know, tied to all the pensions to all those government uh, leaders that, that, that need that money. So they just, you know, let's raise a few more stamps, the price of stamps and so on. But that, I mean, the push is government push. So that's electric. So they're going to be, yeah, let's set a good example and, and do this. Just like Eldon said about the digital currency. You know, they use China to show how great an idea this is going to be to have that digital. In, in my aspect, it's Satan's plan and it, and slowly by slowly, he leads us down to hell. And that's kind of what this plan's happening. So, All right, Kelly. Exactly. Well, they're just going to do whatever their benevolent, benevolent overlords want them to do so they can get the money. You know, if they had said, hey, we, wanna, we got these new fuel-efficient Jeeps or whatever. No, 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 no. But, hey, we got these battery-operated things. Oh, tell us more, tell us more. Here's some money, here's some money. So they're just saying what they got to say to get their money. And the, the Postal Service now is a private company. If you don't believe me, go to USPS.gov. It's not there, but it's USPS.com. That's the website. That's the, that's the commercial business. So they're not Yeah, that the, the simply can't uh, sustain itself either, right? No, no, it can't. You know, they have to keep asking for more and more money. I mean, for the longest time, uh, it was three cents to send a, you know, a stamped envelope. And now they have to have a, you know, an increase in postage every year or twice a year. So it's just showing you that they're spending money on. And yet they, they subsidize shipping from China. That's why they can send stuff from China so cheap, because the U.S. government subsidizes that. Same with Amazon, I believe. Yeah, they don't subsidize us, ladies and gentlemen. We just have to go ahead and do the best we can. Um, Brian Rust, rustquenny.com is your friend. When you want to get your friends and loved ones Christmas presents, I'm telling you right now, everybody loves to hold a piece of that blessed God-ordained medal in his hand. Gold or silver, you pick, or some of both would be a great idea. Rustcoiningift.com is the website, and you've got an honest friend in the coin business. Brian, thank you, sir, and Merry Christmas to you and your family. Hey, same to you, Sam. Thank you much. Kelly, ditto, sir. Thank you very much. Merry Christmas. You betcha. Thank you, sir. And ditto to you, Eldon, but stay with us for the next hour. we got former Congressman Steve King coming up telling you how corrupt the Republicans are in bed with big mainstream media. Yeah, we'll tell you all about it. We'll do it in seconds. Hour one of the can, two coming up. God save the Republic of the United States of America. Atop the Rocky Mountains, the crossroads of the West. West. You are listening to the Liberty Roundtable Radio Talk radio Show. Talk Show. All right, happy to have you along, my fellow Americans. Sam Bushman, live 
on your radio. Hard-hitting news the networks refuse to use, no doubt, continues now. This, my fellow Americans, is the broadcast for December the 22nd in the year of our Lord, 2022. This is our two of two in the goal always to protect life, liberty, and property, to promote God, family, and country. To do so on your radio in the traditions of our founding fathers. Yes, indeed, ladies and gentlemen, we use the blueprint for liberty, the supreme law of the land, the Constitution for the United States of America. That is our guide. And as you know, we reject revolution, but we stand for peaceful restoration of the greatest country on the face of the earth. The only question left is, will they let us, huh? We also are convinced the checks and balances brilliantly put in place by the Founding Fathers, one of the great peaceful restorative solutions we have at our fingertips. Really quick, yesterday we had our buddy on, Mr. Lance Miliaccio. He's host of the Big MIG radio and TV podcast. It's a video cast, if you will. He says it's powered by truth. Amen to that. TheBigMig.com is his website. And uh, he calls himself the tip of the spear and says this, if liberty means anything to you at all, it means the right to tell people what they don't want to hear. Amen to the Big Mig. A big shout out to him, and we're grateful. He's going to become a regular on Liberty Roundtable Live as well. But, man, he's no less a man to stand for the sacred cause of liberty than our next guest, Mr. Steve King. Uh, Steve was a former congressman, as you know, and for years he served in Congress as a conservative leader. You know what? But he was targeted by a well-orchestrated hit by the left mainstream press in bed with the Republican establishment. His crime, you ask? Well, he happened to tell the truth. Yeah, he was warning his constituents and his colleagues that Western civilization was under assault. This tell-all truth became a huge problem, and they literally took him down. To learn more, steveking.com, and he wrote an incredible book to highlight this called Walking Through the Fire. My fight for the heart and soul of America, Steve King tells his side of the story and joins us on Liberty Roundtable Live. Welcome, sir. Well, thanks a lot for having me on, Sam. I appreciate it, and looking forward to this conversation. I want to say also appreciate what you do for for freedom and and for our constitution and in a country that is built upon a faithful foundation. We are losing ground as we speak, and it's our job to fight back against it. That's part of what we're doing today. Yeah, we've been on, doing this radio program for over twenty five years now, ladies and gentlemen. It's unbelievable. But we have been making a difference. So let's talk a little bit about your your life. Uh, in the world and then as a congressman and then we'll get to uh here in just a minute but i just want kind of a summary so people know a little bit more about you steve as a person and then we'll get into the details of, of your service in congress and then the uh, incredible abusive takedown and the political treason that really surrounds it we'll talk about that in seconds but first steve uh, tell us a little bit about you as a person well sure well thanks sam um yeah i've been in, I've been in iowa all my life um my father was in law enforcement. Uh, he taught me the Constitution and the Code of Iowa at the supper table and the Bible at the end table in the living room at night. And so I was steeped with the fundamental structure of what it takes to be and remain, become, be and remain a great country. And uh, those principles that, that are based upon biblical values and upon the Constitution, upon the rule of law, are the structure of Western civilization. And he, he built that in me and uh, also taught me to be a critical thinker. And still the best critical thinker I ever met was my father. 
Yeah, so, but anyway, I, I came out of college and I found myself running a bulldozer, looking up the top of the hill building terraces day by day, and I decided I have to take charge of my life. I it convinced a Democrat banker to loan me 100% to buy an old beaten up bulldozer that the weeds were growing around out across the river in Nebraska. I drug it home and um, welded on it for two weeks to try to stick it together so I could go out and make a little money. And uh, then I rolled it out on Labor Day 1975, 7 a.m. I dropped the bit into the dirt and 10 o'clock sharp when everybody else would be taking a coffee break, I never did, uh, the engine blew up. And so uh, it would be about 10 days later, my wife uh, was pregnant, ten, four and a half months pregnant with what would become our firstborn. And uh, she's out there in the rain with a seven-foot cheater pipe torquing the head bolts on a D7. That's, I give you, that sounds like a long story, but I don't have to tell a lot of the rest of the story once you know that. Uh, I was not born with any silver spoon in my mouth, be it money or politics or influence. Uh, instead, we, had to earn it, we started in a hole and just kept working our way out, got knocked down, got back up again. By um, I'd been involved in the local politics um, at the county level. But by 1996, I was so frustrated with what I was seeing happen in the state legislature that um, I, was, I was convinced by the people I was trying to convince to run for state senate that I should be the candidate. You know, the kitchen cabinet formed every time I tried to recruit somebody else to do that job. So I ended up in the Iowa Senate for six years. And I found out through that period of time, through my business time and, and uh, through the, the state's legislative time, that if I'm thinking something, and nobody's saying it, if I would just kind of blurt it out, quite often it was the same thing a lot of them were afraid to say. And so was able to accomplish a few things in the state Senate that um, passed that English is the official language into law, and it's there today, and uh, also a good workplace drug testing bill. Those two things wouldn't be there at least, and, and a good number of other little... Uh-oh, we'll try to get Steve back. I'm not sure what happened there with his audio. But I think he's right about that, Eldon Stahl. You know what? When when people uh, seem to be kind of silent and don't have solutions, they're really hesitant, but they're looking for someone to articulate and to voice what they may be feeling nine times out of ten. And if we don't stand up from a constitutional, moral, you know, God, family, country perspective, somebody else will fill the vacuum with something that we may not be comfortable with. Socialism, communism, uh, the list goes on and on, Eldon. Yeah, definitely. We need people of moral courage that are going to stand up and say what needs to be said uh, because a lot of people, they're just, they don't want to be the first one. <laughs> That's kind of, uh, it seems like human uh, psychology is uh, people are reluctant, but once somebody does, then more people do stand up and uh, you have a snowball effect and uh, that can happen. And um, well, for good or bad, I suppose, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's good that, you know, he's willing to do that. It's also fascinating to me when somebody basically starts out, you know, bootstrapping their lives. You know, hey, man, I started out on a bulldozer that yeah. blew up, and now I've got nothing, and me and my wife are struggling, and we're going to take action, right? It is, yeah. Um, it, and, you know, there's so many people, of course, in, in politics you, you can point to, especially the national level, it seems like they made a career out of just being in politics, which is, you know, not – um, not a dishonorable thing. Uh, certainly, we need good people in politics, but at the same time, um, if that's all you've done, you kind of it, it's easy not to have really the connection with <laughs> the people you're trying to serve, I suppose. 
Yeah, and it's interesting to me that, you know, there, there's people who have lived their lives and then they go into politics, such as just say, for example, Dr. Rand Paul or Dr. Ron Paul. You know, both those guys, you could say, well, they you know, Ron was mm-hmm. in politics for a long time. Yeah, he was, ladies and gentlemen, but he didn't start out in politics. He started out as a as a yeah. military doctor. Okay, um, Rand Paul started out as an as an eye doctor, and they've learned business. They understand the real world. They understand money. They understand life outside of politics. So to me, it's a lot different when a guy like that stays in there and holds the line for truth, versus somebody who grew up in politics. And and Steve King is kind of the same in the sense that hey, he went he went to politics later. Uh, that wasn't his kind of first deal. It wasn't his first gig. Um, I also like that. Believe it or not, about. Uh, Donald Trump Jr., who we interviewed on this program on Super Tuesday, you know, and he highlighted that, hey, man, he grew up a lot like Steve King in, in the sense that, hey, I'm going to grow up on these mm-hmm. tractors and learn how to work and get in the dirt and learn how to, you know, and I grew up as a little kid. All my family, everybody in my family, all the men are general contractors and such. I grew up uh, as a little kid, teenager in the summers, pulling plywood to the top of homes. That's how I grew up, man. And so, you know, we kind of learn about kind of, and then after a while, you know, I would build this little thing on the side of a building. That way I could basically lift the plywood up and make a big stack of plywood on these supports that I'd build on the side of the building. Then I'd get to the top and pull it up, right? So I'd lift Uh it halfway, set it all there on this little rack that I built or whatever, and then I would go to the top and pull it up. And I could literally bring plywood to the top of the house all by myself. But after a while, man, I got sick of that and started doing something else. But I'm just giving you kind of the example. All right, do we yeah. have Steve back yet? Hello, Steve. Sorry about that, sir. Well, the technology must be on my end. You're the professionals. No, we're, you sound great myself. now, by the way. Good for you. You sound awesome. <laughs> so you were telling us, though, that, hey, your, your, uh, um, your tractor broke. You uh, Basically, your wife was pregnant, but she's out there torquing on the bolts, and that story highlights a little bit about who you are as a person. And I was making the point that, you know, a Ron Paul that goes into politics or a Rand Paul or somebody like you is a lot different than somebody that's been a political hack their whole life. A different ballgame, sir. Well, it is. I mean, I understood it from the the faith and the family and the business perspective, from the, the poor man that had been through some really tough economic cycles. We hit the farm crisis here in the 80s, and I can remember that I'm wondering if the bank was going to loan me enough money to buy some yellow paint that I could line up my equipment, paint it, and sell it on an, on an auction. I recall having our, our uh, cash flow debt so bad by the 5th of April. The frost usually goes out here about the 1st of April. Uh, and we had it, and, and Marilyn cleaned out the refrigerator and put it in a casserole. And she and I and the three boys sat around the table and said, Grace, and we had the Feast of the Poverty, I called it. And I said, cook this every year on the 5th of April so we remember that's never going to happen again. Uh, she would never cook it again. We never had it since then, but we never had that kind of condition either. And so we worked our way from up out of a hole onto this and through um, in, in the business side of this thing. It belongs to my oldest son today, and he's doing very well with it. Um, so that part's successful. And I went on through the state senate and on to Congress, and that's successful. And all the things that I'd done um, seemed to get turned against me about the end all of right, the period. All right, hang tight. Hang tight. Skip the break, will you please, ladies and gentlemen? We're going to skip that so that we can talk to dear Steve King, ladies and gentlemen. SteveKing.com. We're going to talk about his book. He mentioned that his stint in Congress was no doubt successful. But, man, the attack and the political treason uh, by the, what do you call it, the Republican hierarchy, I guess? Really, the deep state hierarchy as well uh, really became a problem for you, huh, Steve? Well, it sure did. And, you know, they, they always want concessions. 
And uh, I became the fellow that um, they've got a whip team, and my whip contact was Tom Cole of Oklahoma for all my years in Congress. And he just um, he would come and he'd have about five or six people on his whip card. Where are you on this bill? Where are you on this bill? And throughout all that period of time, they never really tried to leverage me since the early years anyway. Um, and he would always say, I always know where you stand. It's real easy. It's a yes or it's a no, but it's never a maybe come back and talk to me. And so I built that reputation, but it always on the conservative side. I became the chairman of the Conservative Opportunity Society. It's an organization formed by Newt Gingrich and others back in the 80s and um, chaired that for 16 years in Congress. And in that room would be the most principled, full-spectrum, constitutional Christian conservatives. And so in that room, we would bring highlight speakers in there. Um, one of the top one would be Justice Scalia. Uh, Phyllis Schlafly would be another. And uh, more or less the Fox News line up across the board, Hannity and, and Tucker and, and Laura and others. So they were voices were influential in the circle that I pulled together. And every once in a while, leadership would send a spy into the room to see what we were doing. We were just reinforcing our Constitution and our faith beliefs. And so but they they had a, they saw that that force was pushing back against Kevin McCarthy's desire to become Speaker of the House. And so I think that that is the core of what happened within the Congress. And so but it goes it goes back as far as um, at least 2009 and 10 when uh, when Nancy Pelosi was bringing the Obamacare legislation that that um, I and uh, and uh, Michelle Bachman were the two people that fought it the hardest. And uh, there are others that fought it pretty hard, too. But we were in front of the rest of the pack by quite a bit, I believe. And uh, so we did battle with that. And John Boehner. Um, they, they began uh, when it when it passed. I, I knew we were going to win the majority in 2010, and I began beating the drum: repeal Obamacare, repeal Obamacare. They were beating the drum: repeal and replace. But I knew if you gave people the latitude to dictate what they wanted for a replacement, that would mean that the repeal would be killed as well. And so I took on leadership with that, and I said that's a foolish tactic. We separate the two, repeal it separately, and then replace it after it's repealed. Let's not have that conversation in, in together. So anyway, John Boehner resisted that and me, and um, I began arguing, well, once it passed and we won the majority 2010, I brought the amendment that would have cut off all funding to implement or enforce Obamacare. It had to pass the House because it had the support to do it, and he couldn't keep it from the floor, although he tried. But he set the deal up with the Senate to strip it out. And when that happened, he's still saying, I will ding it. I will wound it. It's never going to be enacted as law. Well, that wasn't true. I knew it wasn't true when he said it. And we did battle up and down the line over that and over immigration. That carried over into Paul Ryan's speakership. It carried over into the leadership of Kevin McCarthy and the minority. And his desire to become Speaker of the House, um, he knew that I had been one of about five that had pushed John Boehner out of the Speaker's chair for cutting deals with Nancy Pelosi and undercutting conservatives. And so he, he was pretty well convinced that not only would I not never vote for him for speaker, but I would organize an effort against him. And that's probably a pretty accurate prediction on the part of him, but it's not a reason to organize the left, the national media, and the hierarchy of the Republican Party at the national level and the state level um, to do what they did. And I saw it coming. I had the warning from Ted Cruz's presidential campaign manager that said, this is what they're going to try. This is a tactic they will use. And he said, they believe they can, these words always ring in my ears, force you to resign. Well, I thought, how do you do that if you don't have any dirt? And there wasn't any dirt. So I just said, bring it. 
Um, if you're, that's what you're going to try to do, just bring it. I'll blow this thing wide open nationwide. But they brought it, and they brought it so hard and so fast that I was caught flat-footed. And most everybody ran and hid from the issue. When I thought that a lot of colleagues would stand up and say this is wrong, there were only a few of them, and when they did, they were punished too. Yeah, we learned that from our dear friend Steve Stockman, by the way, in great detail as well. The lying, mendacious duplicity of Kevin McCarthy, ladies and gentlemen. Don't forget those words. This guy wants to be speaker now. Is he going to get it done? Well, um, I'm going to say right now the odds are of a little bit against him. And we see that there are five members that are very, uh, very open and strong and say that they'll never vote for Kevin McCarthy. I believe those five. There needs to be more. And I think they're out there, not necessarily in the weeds, just kind of lying in wait, watching things and see what's happening. I've also seen people get peeled off, and Kevin McCarthy is aggressively working to do that. Um, I'm going to guess that he's working with, he's meeting with some of those top uh, opposition to him today, asking, what can, what can I do? What do you want? And um, I want them to say, Kevin, you don't have anything I want, and that's the reason I'm not going to support you, because I can't trust you. Um, so, but I think that those five, they can deny Kevin the speakership if there are no shenanigans and if everybody shows up. But if, if uh, say, Kevin McCarthy can convince 10 Democrats to take a walk, our expression to uh, not being there to vote or vote president, um, then, then it takes five more Republicans to say no to Kevin McCarthy's speakership to deny him that speakership because it's a majority of the members voting. And so that's, that, that's how that plays out. And In other words, it relates to the quorum, to and they can change the nature of the quorum by having the other side walk, thus giving them the majority present at the time. That's the point, right? That's pretty much how that works. And, and McCarthy's not ignorant about that. I can, I can tell you that. And he's offered everything he can. He's, but he uses the carrot and the stick. In fact, uh, here's, if you look into it from a psychological analysis, and, and uh, it, it is this, that Kevin McCarthy, I believe, and I have diagnosed him, but I'm not a psychiatrist, uh, but I can, I can read and think. Uh, he's a narcissistic abuser. And that's a technical term for a kind of an uber gaslighter. But a narcissist, of course, the whole world revolves around them. They look in the reflection in the reflecting pool and everything emanates around. They're the center of all, all things, gravity and all, all things that are of value to them. And the, the narcissistic abuser, the abuser part is the one who uh, he flatters people, he insults people, he stabs them in the back, he manipulates their psychology. Some of them are become, and a good number of them become sycophants that will follow McCarthy anywhere because of that tactic. And they believe that their only path to success is to have his favor. There are others that he will. It's a little Stockholm syndrome, isn't it? Yes, that is, that's another one we could add to that. A, um, an uber gaslighting, narcissistic abusing, Stockholm syndrome delivering uh, a candidate for Speaker of the House. And dishonest one at that, and lying, mendacious duplicity. That's a number of adjectives for an individual. I don't think they've used that many on me yet even. There you have it. We pray we can jettison this guy because what they've done to Steve King, ladies and gentlemen, really amounts to this. Media, defamation, libel, and slander. Now, as you know, our dear friend James Edwards, they literally said he was the leader and a member of the KKK in the media. He sued them, and they, all they said was, well, he's not a leader of the KKK. He's not even a member, and he never was and never has been. But you know what? Because of Aesop's fables, the company he keeps— Oh, boy. Oh, man, he's a racist. Uh, then you know what? 
they can call him that, and it's okay. That's what they did to James Edwards, and they're virtually doing the same thing to you, Steve. Well, they sure are, and, and they started out back in about 2013 or 14, and and began. Um, Carl Rove labeled me a white nationalist for some reason. Probably had to do with me blocking uh, George W. Bush's immigration policy a couple of times during that tenure, and uh, I labeled all the people that vote for that as having this. All those senators that voted for the 68 of them voted for it, and um, and I organized an effort to kill it in the House against John Boehner's push, by the way. And uh, so out of that, Carl Rove declared me to be a, uh, a white nationalist. That kind of stuck a little, um, even though I brought legislation that would save more black and brown lives than anybody else ever brought, white lives too, for that matter. And But then, then in um, 2000, let's see if I can get the years right, 2016, at the opening of the Republican National Convention in Cleveland, Ohio, I sat on a panel on MSNBC, Chris Hayes' program, on that panel was an, an Esquire reporter named Charlie Pierce and April Ryan, an African-American reporter who I'd never heard of those two before at all. Now I have. Um, and at the end of that panel shot, which was maybe 15, 20 minutes long, as they're, as they're ready to sign out, Charlie Pierce said, well, one could be an optimist and hope that this is the last Republican convention where old white people have anything to say about it. And yeah, when you know what you're guilty of, don't you, Steve? You know what you're guilty uh, what of serving in Congress. You know what you're guilty of serving in Congress while being white. I think that's it. Yeah, that's that's kind of like driving while black, isn't it? And yes, sir. Um, and so, it's, but it's not as a member it's of Congress. Crazy. And folks, I want you to think about that for a minute. When you understand what they first did is committed all kinds of lies about Steve King, all kinds of distant, uh, manipulated, out of context reality. It's political treason, ladies and gentlemen by the Republican hierarchy, they literally, uh, in my opinion, used media, defamation, libel, slander to attack Steve. But Steve, Steve King's early life sharpened him for this battle. And that's why I wanted to kind of focus on his early life uh, a little bit. Uh, Steve, I want you to respond to that. When we come back from the break here, after you, you respond, we'll talk about the political assassination, the hit in more detail of how they took you down. Uh, but in the meantime, though, you've been sharpened for this battle. You saw this coming, right? Well, I saw it coming. And and, and the reason was they they really brought they brought the everything they could at me going into the 2018 general election. And I'd remind people that the three previous previous elections, I'd won with 60% or more and spent not one dime on any advertisement of any kind, not a radio, TV, door hanger, yard sign, anything. We just did constituent services and earned media. And so it came into the election in 2018. They had, um, they had recruited a primary opponent against me in 2016. I think maybe in 2018, that would be true. Um, and then in the general election, I uh, had a, a well-funded Democrat opponent, and so we're just – our polling numbers were good. We're up 22 23 percent. They'd spent millions against me. I hadn't spent a dime, and we got to within a week of the general election in 2018, and Steve Stivers, the then chairman of the National Republican Congressional Committee, whose job it is is to elect and reelect Republicans – came out and attacked me and used language in a tweet that, that more said in so many words that I'm a racist and a white supremacist, and there's no room for that in the party. Three and a half hours later, his communications director piled on, 
that raised a million and a half for my opponent, my Democrat opponent in the last week. They poured that all on me, and we came out of there with a 3.4% victory, although you know they peeled off nearly 20 points with all that money. This is I mean, a heartbreak I have to take, ladies and gentlemen. Former Congressman Steve King is with us. His website to learn more, steveking.com. They created a political assassination on Steve. Uh, Steve wrote a book about it. Walking through the fire. My fight for the heart and soul of America, says Steve. We continue as he tells his side of the story in seconds on your radio. Exposing corruption. Informing citizens. Pursuing liberty. You're listening to Liberty News Radio. USA News. I'm Lance Pry. The Senate is in session this hour to debate and perhaps vote on the $1.7 trillion omnibus spending package that includes money for Ukraine's defense and a ton of pork projects. Momentum towards passing the bill slowed considerably Wednesday as lawmakers struggled to reach an agreement on amendments needed to get to a final vote and avoid a partial government shutdown at midnight Friday. Senator Chris Coons, the Democrat from Delaware, said the bill is hanging by a thread, end quote. It's an investment in the global security and democracy that we handle in the most responsible way. Ukraine's President Zelensky in front of Congress Wednesday night. Despite our own borders being threatened, former Marine Corps Lieutenant Colonel Oliver North on Fox News says this investment to Ukraine is an investment in American workers. It's spent here in the United States. It's provided to contractors and defense logisticians and the kinds of people who build the kinds of systems that we're getting. Two associates of FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried have pleaded guilty to fraud that contributed to the cryptocurrency exchange's collapse and are cooperating with federal investigators. Caroline Ellison, the former chief executive of Alameda Research, and Gary Wang, FTX's former chief technology officer, both pleaded guilty to criminal offenses similar to those that Mr. Bankman-Fried was charged with last week. Two high-tech satellites were lost Tuesday after the latest European Space Agency Vega-C rocket launch failed going into its second stage during liftoff. The two satellites were for a Neo-Earth imaging company and were launched from Europe's spaceport in French Guiana in South America. Power has been restored to all 73,000 homes in Humboldt County, California, that lost power from Tuesday morning 6.4 magnitude earthquake. This is USA News. What's the best product I bought this year? Oh, that's easy. Salon Paz Pain Relieving Patches. The proven medicines in Salon Paz Patches reduce my pain and let me do the things I need to do every day. In a recent clinical study, patients using Salon Paz reported improved sleep, mood, and the ability to work. They had less pain and were able to reduce their use of oral pain medications. For pain, I use Salon Paz. It's good medicine. He sent me to. Do you owe the IRS $10,000 or more in back taxes? Are you being audited or investigated? Has the IRS sent you a letter demanding payment? You may not owe what they claim. Make this free call to the tax doctor now. Let them negotiate with the IRS on your behalf. Call 800-631-9123. 800-631-9123. That's 800-631-9123.
with us, uh, Congressman, uh, former Congressman Steve King. It was great to uh, get get your input on, uh, you know, our account rather on what has happened. Uh, this backstabbing that uh, went on with the Republican Party and people involved in it and uh, kind of colluding with the, the left as well. It kind of reminds me of uh, what uh, what happened in the past with the attacks on the John Birch Society as well. But uh, hmm. um, I, I guess my question on, on that would be uh, kind of what, what can we learn from some of these uh, experiences so far as the willingness of some people in the Republican Party to work with the left to try to get rid of uh, people that they see as uh, kind of uh, inconvenient truth tellers or whatever you might call it. Well, you know, I, I don't know if I can tie it all into a modern phenomena that has to do with social media. I mean, I look back at Joe McCarthy, for example. Um, they were able to cancel him also um, back before when it was landlines and dial phones back then. But I have seen this phenomenon that's made it, it's accelerated that. And uh, I started watching this maybe in the 90s. We got the ability to store and transfer information and communicate instantly and store that information forever, so to speak. And so I thought then all this misinformation that was starting to emerge, our society has got a couple of choices. One of them is we can begin to discount all the misinformation or be critical thinkers and sort through it and reject that those divisive points that aren't valid, or uh, we can become slaves to it and be divided down our society. That's what's happening. We become slaves to this uh, social media, and we get divided. The algorithms that are coming out of social media, maybe we get an opportunity to take that system down and apart and rebuild it in these upcoming years. It's starting to get some signals on that from Elon Musk and others. But but as that as, as that system is there, the algorithms have divided people. So uh, if I go to conservative sites, the algorithms give me more of that. If somebody goes to liberal sites, the algorithms give you more of that. And so that's divided our society. And I've had people that have been, uh, I'll say, associates, kind of friends for years that have gotten so polarized over the last three or four or five years that we can't even talk to each other anymore. And so what, you know, what is the, uh, how, how do we deal with this is the central question. It's understand it as one thing. I don't think we're going to do that. And so, but, but people have to understand that if they're taking down somebody, they, we need to see that early on. And people need to run to the defense of the person who's targeted. Maybe not even start and do a little background check, because if you'd look me up on Wikipedia, um, it takes 42 pages to print all of Nancy Pelosi's history. It takes 41 pages to print all the lies about me, and there's no way to change it. Um, but, but just ask yourself, do you know anybody that bad? And when somebody makes those allegations, when they're starting to take somebody down, it's, okay, well, who's the second worst person in the world? They can't answer that question either. But what I needed, when when this yeah. came down, um, I was invited to a group of um, NGO uh, conservative thinkers, a think tank in Washington, which I'm going to say I'm a member of now. And um, they finally, I presented to them what had taken place, what the New York Times had printed, what was true and what wasn't. And uh, at the end of that, and they listened attentively and they wanted to be on my side, they said, what can we do to help you? I said, validate me. Invite me to your events, your organizations, put me up at the podium, keynote speaker, maybe just an incidental three to five minute speech, whatever it is, show the world that you don't mind what they're saying about me and that you're happy to be associated. Those people are my friends today, but that didn't happen. 
except in only one case that I can think of around that circle, that table. And so they they um, they fear for their own losing their own donor base, their own can support ask, group. Can we ask who stood up for you, attack. Steve? Can we ask who stood up for you? Who had the guts? Oh, okay, sure. Uh, Louis Gomer did. And, yeah, Louis. And, um, he, oh. he is he's yeah. he's retiring now. I'm sad to say, but he deserves all the rest we can get him. He's the hardest working member of Congress I've ever seen. He accuses me of that, but I know he's just flattering me. <laughs> it's Louis. And but Louis Gomer stood up and defended me and he loaned me he gave me time on the floor that he had already scheduled so that at least I could put my message out there and put it into the congressional record. But the price he paid was um this this came down about the January tenth of two thousand and nineteen. And in February, Martin Luther King Sunday, Louis was scheduled to give the to give the sermon at the largest Baptist church in his congressional district, a white pastor. And when Louis defended me, that pastor pulled the plug on Louis Gomert and said, I will not have anybody that defends a racist speak from my pulpit. That's the price. And Louis paid many other prices. That's the one I know of. And so people like that, uh, people like Ralph Norman, who chairs the Conservative Opportunity Society today, um, Brian Babin from Texas, but they just couldn't bring enough juice. Uh, we had to have 50 signatures to wow. call a special steering committee meeting and, and a special conference to discuss it and, and get the conference to vote on this. I, I don't know whether I would have won that or not at that time because I was, you know, I was a subject of a lynch mob and it was led by the sheriff named Kevin McCarthy. But that's, that's some of the wow. prices that they paid. And of course, their committee assignments, their bills, their amendments, um, any, any help they might get, that gets shut off for those people that would step up and defend me, even though I always said to them, you guys have got nothing. You've got not one piece of fact to bring against me. There's a scholar in Kansas City named Jack Cashel, Ph.D. out of Purdue, a literature scholar, got interested, and he dug into all of these quotes that had been put out on me, took it back to the original source, put it in context, and wrote an article that said all of these things any conservative would have been proud to say as long as it was kept within the context. Yeah, see, I'm a racist, Stephen. Let me explain how I believe in the human race. <laughs> I don't want a bunch of cyborgs. You, I don't want. I don't want to have some, you know, Elon Musk hack into my head with a machine or some weird crap like that. I believe in the human race, and we're all God's children, and we ought to act like it. But you know what? Our civilization, ladies and gentlemen, this cannot be ignored. Western civilization is a superior civilization. Let's be very clear. We can't back away from the facts on that, Steve. Boy, we sure can't. And um, but and that was what was stunning to me. If it is, it is so utterly clear that Western civilization is a superior civilization, and it, it came to me sometime in the, oh, I guess about 2005 or so, when this idea started to form in my head that Western civilization was under attack. But it was still stunning to me that they would attack anybody that defended Western civilization and decide that you know, I, I was actually at that time, and I'm looking to light this back up again. Starting, I had built a lot of the foundation to form an international organization to restore Western civilization for the world, the first world anyway. And uh, they learned about that in Europe, some, some powerful um, business interests over there that are connected with some of the powerful business interests here. I think that's part of it. They didn't want to see an effort to restore Western civilization when they're busy attacking it and capitalizing on our, cap on our, uh, on our uh, capitalistic system. So, but but if I just hit a couple of points for your for your listeners on the foundation of Western civilization, um, go to Moses. 
and the rule of law that was laid out under Moses and judges. And that flowed into Greece, and they adopted uh, the, uh, that, that system. And the Greeks, of course, they built a age of the, the, they built a foundation for science and technology with reason. And the Romans are important uh, for establishing a republican form of government and the rule of law. And so the, the Greek civilization more or less collapsed into the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire spread across Western Europe, and there they laid the foundation uh, for Christianity. Uh, people don't think about this, but um, but Rome laid, laid the foundation for Christianity across Western Europe. We went through the Dark Ages. It emerged from the Dark Ages, and then we had the the Magna Carta. Well, how did I skip the birth of Christ? <laughs> it's the most important thing in all the history of of the universe. But uh, well, that really is the core of the spreading it. of Christianity. Let's be clear. Well, what's that again? Oh, I said that's the core of how Christianity was allowed to be spread. So your point's well taken. Well, thank you. And I, and I just wanted to put that image in people's minds, especially in this Yuletide season. But the birth of Christ is the most seminal, seminal uh, event in the history of the universe, uh, but also the most essential component in Western civilization. And so, uh, and so Christian values flowed across Western Europe. And they built churches and cathedrals there as early as 332 A.D. in Cologne, Germany, that I can think of. Um, and then once they emerged from the Dark Ages, they started to build the Gothic cathedrals around Europe. And some of those are in places like um, the Cathedral of the Dome in, in Cologne. Um, the, uh, uh, and, and in Paris, we have um, – oh, gosh, I don't want to draw a blank on that, but I've been there. Anyway – um, they, they glorified Christ and built those monuments and didn't lose their faith throughout all of this. You had the Magna Carta and that, that came along about that time of the, of the Gothic construction that was taking place. And then that was the man's right? home was his castle. What was that again? It was in the 1200s, right? Yes, in the, in the 1200s. In fact, there's a really interesting story that comes across here. Um, the cornerstone for the cathedral that they built on the banks of the Rhine in 332 AD that that was the foundation for the cathedral of the dome they went to church there from 332 until about 1050 AD when their architects drew plans up for a, a gothic cathedral and they started to build that and in the 1200s they ran out of money about 1250 they ran out of money for the cathedral of the dome and so they stopped construction and they continued their fundraising drive get this for 600 years, they raised money so they could finish that cathedral. And along about the beginning of the 19th century, they decided, okay, it's time to go back to work. So they dusted off the architectural plans from 1050 AD and began to finish that cathedral. They followed those plans pretty much verbatim. And by 1888, they'd finished the Cathedral of the Dome. And I use that. I say to people, why would you ever lose faith? If they could maintain their continuity of faith from 332 A.D. and the plans from 1050 A.D. to finish a cathedral in 1888, and that was used as a bomb site for Allied bombers in the Second World War, but they didn't trip their bombs until they cleared the steeples of the Cathedral of the Dome. And that structure, all the rest of Cologne was raised to the ground, but there stood the Cathedral of the Dome with a few little shrapnel nicks in it was about all it took. But we should never lose faith. We should never lose faith, that and that's the grit they displayed that we need to have in our day, Steve. That's right, and the tenacity and the endurance factors that we need. Um, and people say, you know, it's it's the end of the world. We're collapsed. We're losing. We can't ever win this back. And I, 
why would you predict something that's going to be in God's time? He's already told you he wins. So uh, what our job is, take the gifts that he has given us, develop them to the fullest extent, use them to glorify him, and let him sort out the, the time and the place of his victory. I, I don't lay awake at night worrying about God's victory here. I just worry about whether I can serve him with the gifts he's given me. Roger that, sir. I want to talk about the political hit that yeah. happened against you, though, and how they carried this out. So they started with the media. Twitter was kind of at the center of it, which I find very, very interesting and fascinating. I submit they committed election fraud. Steve, what do you say to that? Well, it's, it surely was a result of it. Um, I mean, they created an entire fabricated story. They did it willfully and and with a planned strategy. Um, I name a lot of the people that are complicit in this in my book. And it was at the hierarchy, as you said, of the national the Republican Party at the national level, but also at the state level here in Iowa. And so I guess you would you could call that election fraud, because what in the end, what they did is um, I have I'd said to people, I'll just put it. The shorthand version is this. They shut off all my money, almost all the money that mattered. I had built a broad network of fundraising network. Uh, they had already shut off the PAC fundraising off of K Street in Washington. That didn't bother me a lot anyway. Um, and then, but I had a list of major donors and then I had a lot of the small donors that were there. And so that was, I needed, I didn't need money, uh, actually, but those major donors, if they wrote a check to me, uh, they would get a phone call. I have one that wrote a max out check to me and, uh, he got, he had on his recording 13 phone calls that called him and berated him for donating to this racist Steve King. And that happened over and over again. The PACs that were supporting me put out public statements uh, that, you know, that some of them called for their money back and, uh, and, and they used that press release to attack me. And so they got threats from the legislative side. And then the Republican Jewish coalition attacked me. Well, why would they do that? I had a better relationship with Israel than most of them. And, uh, but that was the tool that they had. And some of those folks are vulture, vulture capitalists um, that that um, I was standing in the way of some of their economic interests. And so they used, they put a lot of money into the RJC and they used that to attack me. So they called me an anti-Semite because I criticized George Soros. <laughs> and I, that's how I learned wow. that he was a Jew. I, <laughs> and by the way, I got wow. the same hit from Merrick Garland. I didn't know he was a Jew until I criticized him and they attacked me for being an anti-Semite. Yeah, so you can't attack those people. You're just serving in Congress while being white. You can't help it. I'm on the radio while being white. I just can't. I, I don't know what I can do about it. I'm just guilty as charged, I guess. And therefore, see, that's the divide and conquer tactic of the communists, ladies and gentlemen. Let's just be very clear. Eldon? Yeah, very much. Yeah, it very much is. I, it, it reminds me of, you know, Saul Alinsky type of stuff. Um, this is it's just and, – and it seems like a lot of the things you mentioned about um, – Western civilization, a lot of people just aren't aware of. So it's kind of an educational uh, deficit there where people are susceptible to somebody saying, oh, well, so-and-so is, uh, you know, this very hateful person uh, because they want to bring back Western civilization. But they've been trained to think that that's a bad thing. Well, and just to pick Steve. up on that, Eldon, um, they, the, um, when they landed at Jamestown in 1607, they put a they put a cross there, and right away built a cross, and they had a service, and and they prayed at that at that cross, and uh, they all took communion. And part of that prayer, I used to be able to quote it a little better than I can today, but it was it was um, may this may this land and England be evangelist for the world. 
And may we evangelize all the people within this land. They didn't know how big that land was at all. All they knew was the coast in 1607. Uh, But that laid out the foundation that became the manifest destiny that drove us all the way to the Pacific Ocean. And at that time, and throughout the next 100, 200 years, it was like a giant Petri dish for freedom and for a foundation for what became the United States of America, the flagship for Western civilization. And so they brought with them Christianity. Um, they brought with them the rule of law. They brought the this concept from the Magna Carta that a man's home was his castle. He's going to worship freely. And and then they landed on a on a continent that had at that time at least un, unlimited natural resources, unlimited opportunity, built upon a religious foundation and the rule of law. And by the way, 1776 when the Declaration was signed, that was also the year that Adam Smith published Wealth of Nations the treatise on free enterprise capitalism. And so all of these things came together. And and I believe this, I believe that God moved our founding fathers and our framers around like men on a chessboard to build this country. And this foundation is not something that can happen by a random act of the evolution of human nature. This was by the hand of God. And it's and worthy he brought of back checks and balances and chaining down men with the Constitution. He brought back jurisdictional. They brought jurisdictional boundaries. And you know what? The checks and balances, the three branches of government concept, is biblical origins. Steve. Well, can just just give me that checks and balance on the biblical origin, if you will. Well, I don't know if you, if you read in the Old Testament and everything else, they they talk about. Uh, you know, the separation of, of powers, really. And I, I can email you a scripture. I don't have a, a Bible in my hands right this second. But all I'm telling you is this idea of the separation of powers, this idea that you just can't have one person in charge all the time, uh, has biblical origins and a basis uh, for that understanding to where, you know what, you got to have a check and balance. You got to have a separation of powers and authority. Uh, you know, when God gives men authority, it doesn't give them authority to be tyrants. It gives them authority uh, to lead by example and be the humble servants uh, of those they lead, etc. And so we see the battle of kings and how God in, advises us against, uh, you know, kings. And uh, anyway, there's a long uh, history to it, but it's important to understand that for our civilization. That's where the founders got some of these principles. How do we balance tyranny and liberty in a way that's meaningful? How do we chain people down so they don't get too powerful? How do we do all these things? And so, uh, in my mind, it's important to kind of understand some of those origins, um, and then you realize that that made it into the Constitution. Uh, the political assassination, the hit on you, though, I find to be very criminal. When you literally chop off somebody's money, when you literally intentionally spread complete falsehoods against somebody, and then when you use the media to create libel and slander, um, you literally create a political hit, in my opinion, uh, that's election fraud, though, because if the people can't get the truth of who you are, what you stand for, they can't really understand your historical relevance and value in Congress, etc. They have committed fraud on so many levels, whether whether we can find ballot fraud or not at the time. You know, it might be another discussion. Uh, but literally, if they have a coordinated takeout attack on a false premise of somebody, um, to me, it's election fraud, Steve. I don't think there's any way to avoid that. You know, I, I like the way you've described that out with all those pieces of it, and I kind of wish that I'd had this conversation with you before I wrote my book because I didn't articulate it with that level of clarity. It's all in the narrative, but I didn't boil it down to that step by step by step. Is it criminal? I don't know, but it was lies, it was slander, it was libel. Um, it was a coordination of the media. It was all the, 
the Democrat network, which, I mean, I expected that, and I've been able to fight that off all along, but they manipulated the media. Media was triggered in this, and um, I've been – then there's the Sullivan case that prevents one from uh, a public figure especially from suing a publication or a media person, a media, media entity um, for libel because – because um, the, the, the Sullivan case back in 1965, I believe it was, the Supreme Court ruled that they, you had to also prove malice. Well, they could always claim stupidity. And so I it didn't have an avenue to go there that I could find right. a lawyer to take it up on a contingency. So that, that structure of this, though, that's, that's really compact the way you put that together. And in the end, they, they, did, they defrauded the people of Iowa in the, in the 4th Congressional District of an opportunity to have an objective decision. Plus, as this came into that primary that I lost in 2020 as a direct result of this, there were other factors at play. Uh, for example, the Secretary of State sent ballot request forms to every registered household in the state. That more than doubled the primary turnout. And that second half would be the apathetic ones that voted from their kitchen table. And they weren't, all they saw was a mountain of commercials that came in that attacked me because they had millions of dollars and they were, they were invested. They were in. And, well, and so the that custody was one of, the of balance that, at that point uh, comes in question too, right? What was that again? The custody of ballots becomes in question at that point too. If they're literally well, mailing out massive and everybody's voting at the kitchen table, there's not a custody of ballots, uh, Mr. King. No, that's true. I mean, and I've been for let's all vote on election day, let's vote on paper ballots, and let's count them at the polls, and then seal the boxes up and see if there's any dispute. Um, that's that's what needs to happen, and I and I and I agree with that. And Iowa is more reliable than many states are, but anytime a ballot changes hands, it's an opportunity for election fraud. So that was one of the things that opened the door up. And then another one was COVID. I mean, we couldn't even do meetings here during that primary, and I'm the grassroots guy. I did meetings all over the place, seven or eight or even ten a day, and uh, that was my earned media piece, too. Well, that was all shut down by the COVID quarantine, and then, uh, and then but I knew when this, when this happened, I knew that it was going to be a long walk, and I knew that everything that I said became, um, I mean, say, for example, I send out a tweet that says, Happy Easter, it's the most joyous day of the year. What I get back is, go to hell. Um, it became obvious uh-huh. that whatever I said was going to be attacked, no matter what it was, no matter how virtuous. And so um, they they unloaded on me. They, uh, the pro-life groups, um, the National Right to Life, endorsed my opponent because I had pushed them too hard on the heartbeat bill. They didn't want to support it. And I called yeah, them out you for can't it. totally stand up for life, just kind of, huh, Steve? Yeah, and then I defended uh, I defended wow. the lives of those that are the result of rape and incest. They're as sacred to God as my own grandchildren are. And uh, I got attacked by the family leader, and I got attacked by my primary opponent and a number of other entities out here because here I was defending those babies that, that Kevin, McCar- Kevin McCarthy attacked me too. And he said that, oh, no, we have exceptions for rape and incest in the platform, and that's what I voted for in King's Wrong. But the truth is, no, we don't have exceptions either at the national level or the state level uh, for those babies for, for rape and incest, and there should not be. Once you divide that and you say you're not as equal as others, then you're sacrificing life and principle at the same time. We're about flat out of time, Steve, but I want to ask you right. about Donald Trump, though. Donald promised to get rid of the libel laws. 
I was going to play the soundbite related into that. He was going to change the libel laws so that you and I would have a prayer to defend ourselves from these dishonest satanic attacks straight from the pit of hell. Uh, but nevertheless, he didn't get it done. Uh, but tell me about uh, Donald Trump, though. Is he going to be the nominee in 24 and should we vote for him? What do you say? I want Trump to be the nominee. I, I had a different idea, perhaps, that he maybe it'd be time for him to step back and be the godfather of Trumpism until they raided Mar-a-Lago on August 8th. Then all bets are off. There's no pretense any longer that this executive branch is doing the same thing to our entire country as those people that attacked me are doing and were able to do. And if we're ever going to have our country back, we need somebody that, that knows where all the bodies are buried, digs them up, and marches them out on a frog march and clean this place up. Donald Trump has far more incentive than anybody else, and I'd say let's let's let him. If he wants it, I want him to get in there and clean it up. Well, time will tell where those chips are going to fall, but certainly, hopefully, you could end up in his cabinet or be somewhere uh, in a meaningful way because people like you who have been on the inside and have the guts to tell the truth all the way through is a rarity, sir, and we're grateful for it, and we're excited for your leadership. What's the future for Steve King? Well, I'm uh, I'm giving speeches around and selling some books at steveking.com, well, walking through the fire. And uh, I'm also I'm consulting all over the place. It's amazing to me how busy I am. Uh, but so I'm going to keep doing that until there's a calling to do something else. But but the biggest thing that I am still working with is to build the international organization to restore Western civilization for the world. And uh, I want, that means a, a headquarters, perhaps and likely in Vienna. And it means a university dedicated to it and satellite colleges across the Western civilization that are proud of it, that are strong for Western civilization, that build the knowledge base and the intellectual base and the rest that needs to flow from that. Young people need to be need to understand this, know our history like you do, the things we've talked about today and many more. It's a superior civilization. It's all wrapped up in Christianity and the believers in the book. And if, there's, if we're going to survive, we have to have confidence in who we are. Steve King, my name is Sam Bushman. Liberty Roundtable Live is my nationally syndicated talk show. I own a radio network called Loving or called Liberty News Radio. Uh, we dedicate all of our resources to help make that happen. We'll be in touch. God bless you, and we'll have you back soon. Merry Christmas to you and your dear family.